moment of silence. Great stuff. Uh, if you're joining us for the very first time, welcome to this brand new stream called Doing Back It Sober Live life. Now. <laughs> oh, wonderful stuff. Wonderful stuff. Off we go. Uh, my name is Chris Nell. Daniela spearheads this initiative. A little bit of history about how we actually met. Well, it's a funny story, really, which began roughly in the heart of 2020. The pandemic was in full throw. Everyone was still caught behind closed doors. And I was still in network radio at the time. And I was thinking to myself, try and talk about socioeconomics uh, uh, issues that wasn't exactly headline news. And I decided on recovery. A recovery movement had begun to spread like wildfire for Dan, help, Danny, help me write. I think it was roughly about a couple, a good couple of years already before 2020 got started. Six to eight years. It's been, you know, okay. really taken off. And I wanted to give these folks a, a platform, and that's ultimately how I tracked Daniela down through mutual acquaintances. And we kept in touch steadily. You know, life carries on. And from then on, when I converted the segment on my radio show at the time, it was coincidentally called Having a Cup, and I made it a fully-fleshed podcast because the weirdest thing happened. Um, locally, there was no interest, but overseas, it flourished. So obviously, maybe it was because of the fact that everyone wanted to support their friends, who was getting <laughs> primetime airtime, air or maybe it was because of the fact that with the man of the golden voice, who knows? I'm just putting it out there. Uh, <laughs> it's very true. In any event, um, ultimately, I ventured into the podcasting world, and two years goes by, and ultimately, Daniela knocked on my door and asked, Would you like to do this stream? And I must admit, this is a brand new phase for me personally but you know what that's how we as people grow oh zan left oh poo but let's <laughs> carry on it's going to be it's going to be uh, recorded in any event for uh, for perpetuity's sake so people can catch up later uh i think this should also serve as a good time for our listeners if you are to be catching this up on demand that every week there will be giveaways and if you have any questions, please give them to us. Hi, Woody. Great to see you, buddy. If you've got any questions, throw it our way. We would love to hear from you, mate. Um, Daniela yeah. and I have... Yeah, sorry, Danny. I've been talking uh, I a lot. I just wanted to let you know that my connection is is very... It says there's an issue with my connection. So I'm not seeing people uh -huh. leave and I'm not seeing people come in. So... I'm having a little okay. bit of a technical difficulty here, but I can sure. hear you. So that's a good sign. Great you can stuff. hear me, right? I can hear you loud and clear, okay. babe. All right. Um, for our listeners, just to repeat, this is going to be a weekly segment. We'll be trying to get guests here who will be sharing about life, love, recovery, and everything else. And this is an out-of-box conversation in the sense that it's not stiff. It's not going to be formal. We're going to let loose here because if there's one thing that the world needs right now is a little, a little bit more vulnerability and a whole lot more comfort. And comfort does not necessarily mean, oh, come here, my darling. Cuss, cry, laugh. This is your platform. This is, 
Our hope is that you'll leave this space with a sense of belonging, ultimately, at the end of the day. And that's the the overall space that Danielle has, has been trying to create, I'm sure. But, uh, Danny, I think the first question that people would, would like to know is how our mutual recovery journeys have uh, where it initially started. Mine was 10 years of addiction. How long was yours? Oh, gosh. And and I, I lost you for a good minute just now. You were frozen. So if that happens, I'm sorry. Uh, That's fine. My addiction was from it was a it was 20, 20 years, but it was not a sober breath during that entire 20 years. So long, mm. long time. Mine was 10. And you know what? Uh, I made this comment because I do an additional podcast to this, my own private podcast. When I speak to people like yourself who are actively involved in, <clears throat> excuse me, in, in active recovery and advocating sobriety to bigger, bigger audiences and bigger communities, one would almost swear, and I know this is a snide comment to make, but looking at you today and having come to know you, one wouldn't say you had a problem at all in the first place. That's how beautifully you have gotten better over a period of, of X number of years. Yeah, you know, um, looks are one thing. No. Um, it's, <laughs> it's amazing how, and I'm totally kidding with you, it's, it's amazing sure. how fast that your body bounces back. I oh, was yes. a hardcore meth addict. I mean, every single day. Yes, I'm an alcoholic for sure. I cannot drink any alcohol safely. I mean, I will completely break out in handcuffs. But if neither I, can I. Um, <laughs> if I drink too remember much, to tell, go to the drugs, Remember so. me to tell you the story of how I actually buggered up a police officer in sobriety. <laughs> what? <laughs> Carry on. I'll tell you the story. Oh yeah, you got to tell me what it what that word means before. <laughs> it's it means okay. I forgot. We're not doing a, a, a stale radio show. I'm going to tell you the story of how I almost fucked up a police officer. Okay, in there we go. <laughs> <laughs> Come on, Chris, for fuck's sake. <laughs> Wait, Chris, can you tell me one thing? Is Zan still here? Because he's still on mine. Uh, I don't see Zan here. It's my okay. name, it's your name, and then there's the wait bot. The wait okay, bot is so our electronic servant. Us. It's the two of us. Okay. Um, wait bot, go get us a cup of coffee. <laughs> now, I think we have got sound effects, too, we can use. Um, however, uh, I, I would love to hear your story real quick. If you can, if you can do that sure. first. I, I love st good stories. Well, my story began when I had my first sip of the devil's nectar at 14. You know, it starts off sweet, you crave it, and ultimately it expands and expands and expands until you become like that fat kid from the movie Charlie and the Chocolate Factory who falls into the river of chocolate. Mm. Um, but seriously speaking, I had my first drink at 14 because it was the first sign of quote-unquote de facto love that I got from my father because I grew up in a very dysfunctional household. When I was 16, though, that's when peer pressure starts to kick in. As a guy, that's when you start to meet girls, and drinking is fun. Partying is fun, but I never drank in a... <laughs> well, thank you for that accomplishment. <laughs> and uh, 
When I was 16, I began stealing alcohol from my father's liquor cabinet, and then ultimately I had a part-time job. That was before the child labor laws of 2008 was instituted here in South Africa. Uh, so you couldn't hold a job unless, uh, a part-time job, I mean, unless you were 16 and above. But at the age of 16, I already had a, had a part-time, semi-full-time job. And all that money that I would accrue, I would take with me to a local tavern. Now, I stand wow. six four six five, So the nearest tavern, you could easily get a pint for a buck 50 or a bob 30. You know, it was cheap in those days, pre-pandemic. But the real reason why I had begun drinking was because of the fact I wanted to escape abuse. And I don't want to send this off in a dreary manner, but uh, physical abuse, emotional abuse, and pseudo-sexual abuse ran rampant uh, in this house. Uh, it was only up until the time that I had gotten sober that I became educated on the word narcissism. But forgive me for going off on a tangent. So started my drinking at 16, and I had trained to actually become an actor, believe it or not. You and I share a history for performance. I know that you were a stunt woman initially, and I tried to break into this business as a, a performer, fully fleshed performer. But living life in the fast lane had its downside because, uh, you know, you're trying to, 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 uh, bridge one need for paternal or maternal love with a need to be recognized. And that, I believe, also played a, a great dominant factor in my addiction. Um, and plus, also, it's a turbulent environment, the entertainment business. I still work in it, but more from behind the scenes and hours of late, uh, where uh, if you are seen as better than the other person skills-wise, you get victimized, and for no good reason. And the higher-ups have the, they have the higher-ups as protection. I mean, look at what happened at the Harvey Weinstein case a good couple of years ago. Oh, dear, Daniela, you're gone. In any event, so um, this would carry on for 10 years where I began drinking behind closed doors, which was the majority of my high school career. Going into my full-on working career, I quit drinking at the age of 26, which was, I would like to say happenstance, but not exactly happenstance that I had planned on doing it. It was a conversation I had <clears throat> with my mother at the time because I had gone through some changes. I lost a good amount of money. I had to give up my f uh, apartment that I had uh, where I was living full time. How much did you miss out of that story? I missed it all. So I decided oh, to start talking. Dear. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but in any event, um, as a can you hear me? I can now. Can you hear me, Danny? Great yeah. stuff. So as I was saying, I began drinking at uh, in my mid-teens, and I quit drinking at the age of 26 because the situation took a turn for the worse. My salary was being cut. Uh, I'd switched professions from acting to ra radio broadcasting. Um, had to give up my apartment because I couldn't afford to live there anymore. And just one night, I was mm -hmm. having a candid conversation with my mother, and the words came out, Mom, I'm an alcoholic and an addict, because... 
in companionship with my alcoholism, I was uh, abusing over-the-counter tranquilizers, sleeping pills, and pain medication. You know, uh, I don't know what adverse side effects that you had in addiction, Daniela, but when I would be excessively drinking, I would develop gout in my wrist. And that's where the painkiller would come in. Ooh. Yeah, and I recently discovered uh, that because of the fact certain spirits of alcohol, your whiskeys, your tequilas, your beers and whatnot, it builds up excess acid mm -hmm. in the bloodstream. And yes, um, like with, with fatty yeah. foods as well, it can create gout. Um, wow. I had that's scary, very, very scary. And I had lost my hearing and, and painful, very painful. And I had lost the hearing in my one ear from what was called as uh, what was called drug induced bronchial pneumonia. And uh, wow. my mother was my uh, was paying for my medical aid. And that's how the conversation realizing now got started. How did I end up with all these health mm -hmm. problems? And then I came out with a whole sack of potatoes. Do you yes. think that's where the where the tail end of the of the of the tail came to a conclusion? Of course not, because five months after being committed to staying sober, but a dry alcoholic and addict, not committed to AA or NA of whatsoever, I was diagnosed with stage three skin cancer, basal cell sarcosinoma, mm. and uh, look for people who are listening. Let's face it, being in early recovery is fragile, very fragile, because your mind is going in 10,000 of directions, and it's a fight with the mind and with the body because it's a collision of worlds, because now the one is saying no, but the body still needs it. Mm. Um, so there are adverse side effects in the form of, of health, issues and uh, Daniela and I have a friend who recently posted an article on how alcohol if excessively consumed over an x number of years can actually enhance mutant cells ist est cancer but every cloud has a silver lining for those who are very fortunate myself and Daniela included I was able to beat cancer after only about a month. I went through more holistic treatments instead of chemotherapy. And uh, from then on, I committed myself to full-on sobriety. I'm trying to trim the fat of the story because it's, it's a very, very long story. But my addiction stemmed from abuse and trying to escape and trying to uh, create a, an image of myself that wasn't there. Because if you have faced abuse for many years you think of yourself as something that you're not. And if the dream doesn't meet the reality, that's when you start to begin to implode because you're trying to keep up this facade of this image of yourself. And now in recovery, I've begun to accept myself for who I am and I could, couldn't give one, two bits about other people's perceptions, opinions, or for that fact, their notions unto me. I mean, after all, there's three destinations we're all going to go to. We're going to get married, we're going to start a family, and ultimately, when our time on earth comes to its fruition, we leave this earth and we hopefully leave the earth in a better state 
as we left it. But enough from me, Daniela. What about you? I relate to so much of what you said. <clears throat> Excuse me. My uh, my journey doesn't start with with abuse. However, mm. um, there was a lot of abuse. Um, sure. I think it was almost the opposite. It was too much. What can we give this person, our daughter, our only daughter? It was almost an overabundance of love and showering of what is wrong with this, this child of ours? Because um, mm. I was just a, an irritable child. And I believe that's my alcoholism working, you know, it's always live and well, mm. uh, whether I'm drinking or not. Sure. And um, <clears throat> it's interesting all the things you said about the health conditions, because um, I know a lot of people who have gotten sober that were longtime alcoholics, drug addicts, and they have gotten cancer they've got i mean there's so many people getting cancer these days it's very scary big time um, but a lot a lot of these um people including myself have now autoimmune disease which is something i've seen in a lot of people i, I get a lot of comments and a lot of messages of people that suffer from autoimmune which is something i recently was diagnosed with um mm. as far as my recovery journey goes i I don't know if I would be able to survive on this day and age with the amount of drugs and consumption of alcohol that I did. Mm. Um, mm. I didn't know any better. I thought I was just uh, <clears throat> trying to have a good time. I wasn't a, a sappy, depressed person. I just loved to be the life of the party and it made mm. me feel a little more uh, comfortable around others. Um, I never had a problem talking with people, but when I had alcohol, I had, you know, I could talk to everybody and I could be whoever I wanted. <laughs> and uh, that's fun. Oh yeah. That's so fun. Es you have no idea. Especially when it comes to the part where you're dancing on the tables to and a song that a band didn't even play. You could be anyone you want. And I probably was all of those people. <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, I, I just, I love, I do, I look back and I don't regret anything. I look back and I, I think of all the different people that I was, that the chameleon, I mean, I was the gangster. I had my hair slicked back with the big eyebrows. I mean, I kind of do today a little bit. <laughs> I had, um, I had my biker days where I was hanging right. around um, on the back of a motorcycle, um, you know, thought that was cool. Um, the preppy girl, of course, um, didn't really like that very much. Um, just all the different characters that, and, and it's because I think I couldn't feel comfortable <coughs> in my own skin. God bless you. <laughs> I couldn't Thank feel you. comfortable in my own skin. So I had to drink and drinking made me want to fit in everywhere. Oh, I just wanted to fit in, you know, and I didn't know it at the time because I thought I was so great, but really I was just trying to fit in. I think um, every time I drank, I would just get so drunk that it would just always be a problem. And then right after high school, I went straight into the cocaine and, and it 
<clears throat> when you're living in Los Angeles, Hollywood is a lot of fun for a young girl. I mean, they're celebrity at that time in the, in the 90s when I hit 21. In fact, it was earlier than that. I was already headed to the clubs. I was hanging around dating, actually, I won't mention names, celebrities. Sure. And I was um, hanging around, you know, famous people. And I was working on movies, you know, and I was every day working on a film. I was, and then all of a sudden I get a DUI. And uh, boy, that was a tough night. God, I was so, I just was so drunk. Um, <laughs> I, you know, I just remember a couple of times I've been arrested for DUI twice and both times I was absolutely trash. And I just remember the psychotic episode that I would have. Um, the first time they were trying to fight me uh, to take my blood. And I mean, it was just insane. The second time I was dead set on killing myself in this inside the cell at the Hollywood station where I was. <laughs> I mean, I was so crazy when I would drink. It just. Holy cow. Totally nuts. But, um, you know, and I did jail time. I was in jail for 10 days and uh, that wasn't fun. All these things that. I really wasn't supposed to be doing with my time. I was setting myself up for, you know, a, a decent, successful career. I started, um, you know, I got into the Screen Actors Guild. My father was a producer. You know, I had a lot going for me. Um, mm. And, uh, you know, the cocaine really took a toll on me. It just, it, I was able to function, but that was because I was a waitress at the, you know, I was able to go to my waitress job. Um, and when the movies roles stopped coming as often, it was, um, it was easier to get more and more fucked up because I would just want to get high. And it's just fun. Every night you go out, you go to the after hours, you hang out with celebrities. You think you're a celebrity because you're hanging with these people. Um, my thoughts exactly. Yeah. And, and later after that, it got even worse. I mean, I, I did things that never I would ever dream of doing. And mm, eight years I of meth use, you know, um, you know, hitting methamphetamine off a bong made me pretty loopy because I'm already loopy to begin with when it comes with alcohol and all that. So putting this drug in me, it was it was tough. It was tough. And, you know, I had lost my mind. I had, um, you know, I really needed a rubber room at that point because the voices were so loud. It was the drug induced psychosis. It was the, um, the hole that I carved into my chin. Um, you know, no way. I, I had plucked my eyelashes out. Um, that's not why they're so big today, but <laughs> <laughs> that's what happens when you tell your husband to go pick you up some eyelashes you so um you know things things got really bad it just started going up 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 the ladder sure. of just the harder drugs you know um and I know these days I, I would have never lasted because the fentanyl, you know, it just kills you. You don't have a chance. Sure. And, absolutely. Um, the, the main thing now with, you know, living sober is 
dealing with my illnesses, which I never had before. I mean, when I first got sober, I'd be running around the parking lot with a tire around myself in a plastic suit on a hundred degree day, <laughs> trying to sweat extra. And um, now I'm, I'm on a very powerful um, biotic drug, which is a live organism. Mm. Um, I keep saying, um, I'm going to work on that. You don't and have to. It, it doesn't make you feel good. It completely just upsets your stomach. It breaks your face out. It makes you feel really tired. I mean, you know, but you can't tell a drug addict that, hey, if you quit, you, you might not get these illnesses. Uh, you All you can do is just give your experience and hopefully somebody doesn't go as far as you did. Because I know these days you will die a lot sooner. Um, oh, however, yeah. you know, getting sober, it's been over 15 years. And when I first came in, I was so, so just, why can't I think of the word? I was just very, uh, oh, I had no self-esteem, like absolutely none. Mm. I have drugged my self down to the deepest and darkest level and gave my soul completely away for alcohol and drugs. And here I am now sober. And it took a very long time. And that's the hard part because a lot of people give up before the miracle and the miracle, yes, sure. it, it comes and there's many miracles and they do come, but the longer very. you stay sober, um, that's just not something you can really achieve in the beginning as fast for me. It took me time to be able to get that spiritual awakening, um, which I had absolutely very fast within my sobriety. I mean, I knew right away that the first day that I got sober, that was a spiritual awakening. There, there had to have been something there besides me. But, you know, I remember I crying for my first week when I got sober. Uh-huh. Oh, I thought you were going to talk about your first week when you got to... <laughs> no, no, no. It's hard no, to no. hear. <clears throat> I just, All right. um, I look at my life now and I love the simplicity that just being able to laugh and be stupid and not care <laughs> what anybody thinks. <laughs> I, see, and if boy, it was 15 years ago. If it was 15 years ago, I would have ripped these eyelashes off because I would have never let anyone see me. <laughs> I was like, forget about it. I'm going to leave them on. Well, the simple life is the best. And it takes time and it does take practice. But we learn how to live in such a different way. And, and I am so sure. glad that I lived that fast life because I would never be able to sit back and relax and know that I am not getting FOMO. There is no FOMO in this mother because I've done it all. You know what I mean? <laughs> well, I think one little detail that Daniela has left out, that even though the simple life is a lot easier, life still happens. Yes. I promised Daniela I'll tell her the story. Uh, after I had been sober for about, I think, a year, yes, because it was just after I'd beaten cancer, I still had to work out a, a term of my contract before I would uh, ultimately bid the local radio market goodbye. And it was my last night. I prepped a whole shindig uh, 
put a little skit together. It was 12, 1 o'clock in the morning. Now, uh, Danny, you've worked on film sets. If you work a 12-hour shift, you're absolutely pooped. You just want to go home. My thoughts exactly, because after three, four hours speaking into a microphone, expending mental energy, of course, and trying to keep track of spinning records, you are just drained. And I still had to drive about 137 miles home from work. Oof. Yeah. <clears throat> so any event, I'm driving on the freeway, and it's a Friday night, and all of a sudden, a flashlight goes off in the distance, and it's pitch black dark. I thought, I'm in the throes of a horror movie. Thankfully, I realized in time it was a traffic cop, and I pull over to the side of the road, wind my window down. <laughs> Sorry. No, that's fine. Carry on, because it gets better. I wind my window down. License and registration, please. And have you been drinking? No. I actually wanted to piss with the officer. I wanted to say, no, Ossifer, no, I wasn't drinking. <laughs> but I played it straight. I said, no, I haven't been drinking. What is that in your drink holder of your truck? No, I used to drink energy drinks. And there was an empty can in the drink holder. Now, obviously, that's a one maneuver of hiding your booze so that the police don't get any sort of idea that you've been drinking. Police in South Africa are very stupid. In any event, <clears throat> get out of the car, please. We're going to have to submit you to a breathalyzer. I thought, oh, fuck this thing now. So I get outside. They have me walk in a straight line, and I blow into a breathalyzer. This is literally the police officer's reaction. <laughs> We're going to have to do it again, sir. The batteries have died on the breathalyzer. <laughs> Jesus. Ten minutes later, the police, the police officer comes back with another breathalyzer. <laughs> blow into it. I almost made a fart noise when I did it because it was something to the extent of... <laughs> In the event, 0.00. Okay, sorry. <laughs> sorry, sorry, sorry. I didn't mean to uh, pull you over. I realize that you are now sober, and she extends her hand, and I just grabbed her hand like this, and you can almost hear the crunching like... <laughs> and I said, thank you for doing such a duel, duly good service. God bless you. Got in my truck, and off I went. My telephone is going off like a... Like you would not believe, because Mummy Dearest, of course, wants to know why her sunny gym is still out and about at one two o'clock in the morning. Tell her the story. Come home. Another good, uh, and I promise you, I promise you, it's the gospel truth. Things like this do happen in sobriety. Christmas Eve, two thousand and nineteen. I'm sent off to go get some perishables for the Christmas table, and there's a lovely little superette just around the corner from my house. It's dead quiet. You can hear, you can smell the Christmas roast wafting from the various houses. And as I pull into the parking, I hop out. And again, it's like a live rendition of The Walking Dead. It's so quiet. <laughs> Walk inside, get my perishables. I pay with my check card and I walk outside and as I'm about two, five paces away from my vehicle 
all of a sudden a courtesan makes her appearance, a lady of the evening. Oh. The first thing on my mind, I said to myself, get the fuck out of here and do not attract any attention. Was I successful? Not exactly, because all of a sudden I heard, hello. <laughs> I ignore. And hello comes again. And eventually what was hello, hello becomes hello, 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 hello. In all of this fracas, I managed to throw my groceries into the back of my car. <laughs> and I'm about to get into the driver's side. And out the 45th time, maybe, I'm exaggerating on that number. She says to me, hello. I just yelled, goodbye. Bang. <laughs> Slammed the car door shut. Got my key in the ignition and I stormed out of that parking lot. I didn't even know if I drove over the poor girl's foot. But that stuff happens. Trying to be propositioned by a lady of the evening in sobriety. Top that. <laughs> That's too much. Well, I could tell you of the time. Oh, this is a great story. It's my favorite story. It's my own sort of little Guinness World Record. As I said, my alcoholism expanded from or stemmed from the age of 16 to 26, and I'm second year college. And it's after the Easter break, active addiction story. Look, if there's any subject that I wish no one ever to study because it's as boring as anything, it's law. And we had to do a semester course in law. My lecturer at the time looked, she looked a little bit like uh, Humpty Dumpty, if I could put it that way. A rather stout looking girl with the same thin frame glasses as I, but the most magnetic personality I've ever seen on a lawyer because normally they are so drab. In any event, study, 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 study for this big exam after the Easter break. Sunday rolls around. We're writing that exam the Monday. I get it. DM from an ex-friend of mine. It's his father's birthday. Can I make a turn? Sure, I can pop by for three hours. Why not? But I can't drink. I'm writing an exam. Now, obviously, when I said that, subliminal messaging happened because what I had said went in through the one ear and immediately exited out the other. Get to my friend's place and immediately they give me this big beer stein of translucent liquid that looked like soda pop. And because of my heritage, you have to do a, a toast, and it ultimately concludes where you have to down the beverage. I drank every solid drop. Ten seconds later, I learned that my drink has been doctored with 60% vodka. Within a flash of five minutes, I'm so belligerent, I can do the ABCs backwards. Oof. Got home at six o'clock and I peek my head through the door and I say, hi, Bob, I'm home. And I'm met with the quite apropos response, you're drunk. Got into bed, woke up that Monday morning with a god-awful hangover. Throughout the course of that day, expended 60 bucks on coffee trying to beat it. Do you think it helped? <laughs> it was like talking with the man on the moon. Three o'clock rolls by and I'm writing this exam. I blacked out when the adjudicator said, 
go. And I'm just applying whatever I thought was applicable from what I had studied. I just applied to every answer. And I think it was a rather good exam because the time the adjudicator said, stop, the pain from my head worked its way down, made a right at the clavicle, and lodged firmly in my elbow. And my elbow hung like this, like a little bit of a... Ooh. Yeah, very painful. Ow. Two weeks goes by, hump, Humpty Dumpty comes walking into the adjudicate, uh, into the lecture hall, <laughs> and she calls us, and she calls us out by our student numbers. And I still rem remember mine to this day: one five zero one four double five one. Approach. Now, just picture this in your mind. I felt like Michael Clark Duncan in the Green Mile. Dead man walking. Dead man walking. Oh man! Eventually, I get that exam back and I hold it to my chest like a life jacket. I'm not letting go of this thing. Eventually, I sit on down and I scrape the mood together and I look. I passed with high distinction, and I literally walked out of that hall and I went, "Yes, I'm never drinking again." Ninety-nine percent on a law exam. Never drinking again. I've learned my lesson. That pledge, I promise you, lasted two weeks. What a good run before I was drinking again. I'm so proud of myself. So. Because I took out my smart device, and I don't know how I did this, but I managed to fit in every minutia of the F word. In 30 phrases in one text message, cursing the life from this gentleman, how dare he get me drunk? <laughs> but, you know, <laughs> that's the lie. That's the lie I convinced myself. But oh looking at all those experiences today, I can actually <laughs> laugh about it because I think <laughs> – I think this is a perfect platform to do a, a stand-up comedy show because the oh, stories God. that you hear, you can just laugh your head off. I mean, there was the time as well where um, – oh, no, I can't tell that story. No, 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 no. People have to get used to my, ex ex <laughs> yeah. my eccentrics first. I was thinking of some stories myself, and I thought, you know what? These people don't know me quite yet. I better not get into that yet. <laughs> Sure. Oh God! Well, you know, it. it I, I think about because methamphetamine <clears throat> is is a very, very, just bizarre drug. I mean, mm. it's super sexual. It makes you have a really lot, a lot of energy, and it makes you feel superhuman. And at the beginning, I mean, I even. I, I still felt I looked okay with a big hole in my chin and no eyelashes. You know, I mean, <laughs> it, it, you're in a la-la land, you know. Um, it's All you had to do was just audition for Clive Barker and the next edition of Hellraiser, you would have been a featured character <laughs> with a hole in your chin. <laughs> I'm not kidding you. I even shaved my head during that time. And it was, I was not As did I. It was scary. It was scary. Um, however, you know, when you're young, you think you can do anything. You can very much. The world. And I felt like I was just so beautiful because um, 
I had men telling me so, but you know, men want what they want. And when you're high, they'll say whatever, you know, um, which caused me a lot of trouble. You know, I had um, a lot of rape. Um, and and some people say I was raped. No, I had a lot of rape and people, um, hurt me because I put myself in vulnerable positions, you know, with the drugs and the alcohol. Mm -hmm. Um, and, uh, I'm not ashamed, you know, I'm not ashamed at all. I'm just thankful that I didn't do this um, now, you know, because these days it's, I mean, it just, I cannot even think I have, I moved from a different state about three years ago. And since Mm. I moved here, I have literally seen 20 people die of heroin overdose. And I moved to a small town. Goodness. it's scary. <laughs> it's scary. And getting sober is not easy, but it can be done. If I can do it, sure. anybody can do it. Because I never Absolutely. knew I never knew how to live life without a drink or a drug. I mean, I didn't know. I didn't even think that I should or why should I? It wasn't even a thought in my mind that I had a disease. I don't know if I was just an ignorant, which yeah, obviously. Um mm. I didn't know about alcoholism. I just knew that I liked to have fun and dance on bars and go home with celebrities. I mean, you know, but, um, you know, when my stomach (coughs) burst open and I almost died and they had to do emergency surgery on my stomach. Um, Uh, yeah, I had to do some thinking there, like what's going on here. And well, uh, I can relate because after I got out of treatment for cancer, I mean, I showed you the photo when we were, or uh, I showed you when we did our last video call before we went live. This was last week. The scar on my nose looks like a spider's web. But when that growth falls off, skin comes with it. And you can actually see the nerve endings of the inside of your nose. Wow. Not a pretty picture. And And I couldn't set foot out of the house. Because, you know, Frankenstein lives here. (laughs) And uh, I remember attending a friend of mine's funeral with a big bandage on my nose and people offering me um, handkerchiefs because obviously they thought I sneezed and something got stuck on the bridge of my nose. That's how bad it looked. Yeah. But I get it, you know. I think, and please help me right here, Danny, because this is my... The world according to Chris. We're talking about life happening in sobriety. Look, if there was any measure that I could just fast forward through that bad memory or that bad experience, I would love to do that, but I can't. On the flip side, I have to say as well, those experiences mold one's character Mm -hmm. it makes you more mature i think yes um i think it makes you a lot more Mm open-minded to not subject yourself to one-dimensional thinking it makes you more teachable and i think forgive me if i if i sound repetitive but the things that matter today are worlds apart from what mattered before and uh, you and I share a love of animals, but apart from 
but apart from from the love of animals, I think doing what yeah. you love that you have a natural aptitude for also helps yes. in building that yes. self-esteem because I recently um, we have retaken my interest in fine art. Mm. Uh, just walked by a craft shop the one day and just got a blotter pad and a couple of pencils. And just that saturation <clears throat> from uh, whatever it is in my imagination and just putting it down on that, on that blotter pad and looking at this and just standing there in awe and thinking to myself, wow, I made this? Yeah. Why didn't I learn this lesson a little sooner? Before we carry on with our audience, I see Jen here is uh, seated. Jen, if you have a question, please fire away. No holds barred. And for our audiences as well, in the weeks that uh, proceed this recording, as we get more live guests, we'll be featuring giveaways. And we want to hear from you if you have any questions or if you would possibly like advice or maybe if you'd like to make an appearance and just have your voice heard, please do so. Don't be shy. What is it, Danny, that gives you fulfillment to continue staying stopped, at least if it were for one day, argument's sake? It's my serenity. You know, my ability to be available for the people that I love. The, mm. You know, to be somebody that people count on. It makes me feel good because I never mm. was that person. Um, when you get sober at first, it feels really good to be sober. But then, you know, um, the physical part, you just feel good every day. Um, you know, you have your bad days. Everybody has their thing. But mentally, um, you know, you just learn so much. You're so much more aware of, of what's going on around you. And mm. you start, to, mm. like I said, to get that self-esteem and you're able to make better decisions and put up boundaries and also tell oh, yeah. people, yes, I would love to go or no, I'm sorry. Like I was the person who could never say no. I would have a hard time telling people, no, I'm okay, I'll go, even though I didn't want to. If I don't want to go, I just find a way to politely say, I'm sorry, it's not for me, or I just don't feel like it, or, you know, I can't go. Just, it's it's okay to not have to do everything. Um, sure. It's, it's so nice, like you mentioned, the art. I'm an artist, and I am just creating all the time, and I absolutely love it. Um, art is Nothing such a like beautiful it. way. Because us alcoholics and, and drug addicts, we're very colorful people. We have a oh, are we? Yes, everything is in there, and we've got so much that we can bring to the table when it comes to art. Very, because we have all very. these emotions that we've experienced, just like anyone. But we, we really, um, you know, we've gone through um, such ups and downs with our drug addiction, and for me, it's just a peaceful place. It's a peaceful Absolutely. place for me just to chill out and. Um, I just did a project, uh, finished it two days ago. It's a, it's a black crow, which I never do anything dark. And it wasn't dark. It was a, um, it was folk art. That's what I like to do is folk art. Just very colorful, okay. cool, 
um, you know, colors and lots of different pieces all within it with meaning. And, you know, we all, oh, um, um, like some people, they journal it, it. That's their art. They, they like to get mm. their, that's a very powerful way, especially when you're new, you've got to find things, mm. you know, to help keep you, keep you busy and, and helping others is one that really was solid for me. If I was able to sure. give somebody else hope, it just made me feel so much better and it made me want to stay sober. So yeah. it, it just was such a good feeling to be able to, you know, to give away. And, and it just made me want to stay sober and it just made me, my light turned on and I just felt bright and yeah. shiny and lovely. And I hadn't felt those feelings in so long, you know, <laughs> And surprisingly enough, we addicts also enjoy a very broad sense of humor. We can learn to laugh again without reservation. Yes. Yes. I'll tell you a funny story. <laughs> so when I first Here got sober, um, and I'll tell the story about the day that I got sober another time. Um, <laughs> but <laughs> I, um, I had uh, been driving the truck of one of the Foo Fighters. And I had crashed. Oh, wow. I had crashed the truck in a drunken stupor. Um, and uh, but I was such a good manipulator that I actually won that battle in court. And I um, no I, way. I represented myself. However, I also went to another court, uh, the Judge Mathis show. I don't know if you've heard of good old Judge Mathis. <laughs> He's a tough very, guy. Well, very. I had been sober three days, and I had this mission where I had to go on the Judge Mathis show to to be in front of the guy who owned the truck who was suing me and his girlfriend. And I was sober three days. I was going to be staying downtown Chicago. They put you up in a hotel. They give you vouchers to eat and drink, you know, and here I am in a very crowded restaurant in a bar below my hotel, the perfect place I would have loved to have drank and, and had a nightcap, you know, meet somebody just, and you know, it's the weirdest thing because I did something I had never done. I asked God, which I didn't know who God was, but right. I just asked him anyway, because I needed to figure out how to do this thing. I just stayed open-minded and I said, God, please keep me sober. And that was it. And I don't even think I had meaning behind it. I just said it because I was told to. Um, mm. And I, they said, mm. it will help. It will help. So I tried it and I didn't freaking drink. I was so shocked. I didn't drink. I ate my dinner. I took those vouchers, used them on some ice cream, went up to bed, woke up early, was ready to go. I won my case, got on the airplane. This is the funny part. I made it to my meeting. I was so excited. I got in that truck, went straight to the meeting. Um, it was in this big church, which I would later become secretary of 10 years later. And it was, it, it's, it's the Westlake Village speaker meeting, and it is a giant, cool meeting where they have awesome speakers, and it's such a neat wow. place. Um, all over Los Angeles, the best speakers come and speak there, and there's 800 to 1,000 people every single week there. Um, and I walk in there, 
And I'm in the front row with my friend, Amy, who I used to do drugs with. Um, and she right. was now sober. And I knew that. So I called her. So she met me at this meeting and <laughs> I look up and I see this guy that I used to smoke crack with. Amy and I, my friend, Amy, who said, and he is wearing a bow tie and he looked so silly. He was wearing a bow tie and little and little um, dots on his shirt. And I laughed so hard, I peed in my pants. <laughs> my first big, big meeting, you know, my first time there, and I peed. I couldn't even get up from the chair because I peed. That's how that's how bad I was laughing. I was laughing so hard that I actually peed in my pants. And that made me feel like I'm in the right place. I was sure. laughing within Absolutely. three days. I was belly laughing. I made it on a trip to Judge Mathis. And I knew that, you know, this was something that I was attracted to. You know why? Because I felt love. <laughs> I felt love. Absolutely. I felt so much love in this place. And I'm feeling love from uh, Jen. Hey, Jen. <laughs> um, hey, Jen. And, you know, it's it's just, it's a constant give and take. You can't always take. You can't sure. take, take, take. you got to give. And when Absolutely. you don't give, you start to get a little bit narcissist again. And you get these things that come up. Hit up your own ass. Yeah. Um, yeah, maybe you don't want to be part of the big picture, the big AA or this group or that group, and which is fine. Everybody gets over their own way these days. Um, but sure. um, giving back is for me, I don't care AA or not. It is the key because if I'm giving back to my mother and I'm going over to vacuum her house because her back hurts and I'm helping my husband and this and that and I'm taking my dogs um, I am going to never think about drinking. That's for damn sure. Mm. Um, because mm. I'm going to be too busy, you know, and, and it's a good busy. It's a good busy. You know, it, it's like we get to do these things. We don't have to do them. We get to do them. I mean, there's a big Absolutely. difference there, you know, and I'm you thankful. talk about, oh yeah. Oh yeah. Gratitude is the best attitude. You talk about giving, uh, New Year's Day came a couple of weeks ago, <laughs> and uh, my mother wanted to to take us out for uh, dinner, but she couldn't afford it. And I said, well, you know what? I got bonus. Let me take you out for waffles. And uh, we're driving on the freeway. <clears throat> Sometimes people react to you in a telepathic manner when you're on the freeway. You don't have to throw hand signals. You don't. <laughs> you know what I'm referring to. <laughs> you don't have to lie on your on your horn. You ju just picture this in your mind. You're so silly. Twenty nine year old, six foot four, bald spot, with a fifty nine year old little auntie in the passenger seat. Car wants to overtake you, but doesn't put on his indicator, and windows are closed. And you just give the steely eye to this person. And without a moment's hesitation, you and the mother both at the same time say the word, fuck off. And the next moment. <laughs> That's a good one. 
next moment, there goes the car back into its appropriate lane. It's unbelievable to think that people can can communicate telepathically when you are on the freeway. (laughs) (laughs) It's the truth. (laughs) But I live for those moments today. I can't do without them. And the best thing of it all is you don't ask for it. It just happens. You just have to have your eyes open to to realize it. I mean, people who I had to make an amends to, uh, I remember I made an amends to one of my old high school teachers. Look, if there is class, you're one of them, Danny. This woman is proper English class and I treated her like garbage Mm. and she tracked me down and I wrote her this long correspondence and uh, she said to me I don't know what on earth you're talking about now look that might be just polite manner of saying um, I know what you did but let's not talk about it but having those experiences like that, and even the ones where, like, okay, can you just say sorry and let's just get on with life? I mean, come on. I've got an anniversary dinner to get to. Please, how long is your going to, amends going to take? Mm. Those sorts of experiences are also grandiose Shit. because, oh, trust me, if I say sorry, I say sorry. Um, but those silly moments, I mean, uh, I'm trying to think. I'll think of the stories as I as I carry on. You you take over from here. Otherwise, I'm just babbling on and on and on. No, I think it's great. I love it. I I love learning more about you. I, I have one quick question. Are you where are you located? Are you in England? No, I'm South African. I'm from South Africa. No, I thought you told me you were in England. No, I shed my I native accent. No, none none whatsoever. None whatsoever. Uh, when I was 16, I transferred to uh, English prep school. And the English are very, very militant on diction, pronunciation, and the like. Mm-hmm. Uh, so our syllabus was a lot like what you would be taught in the prime universities in the UK, Oxford, Cambridge, yeah. the, the like. And subsequently, I shed my native accent now if i can illustrate i hope you have a very good ear um the typical south african accent you've have you ever seen the film blood diamond with leonardo dicaprio where he's searching for the diamond out in africa Mm -hmm. that accent is the quintessential africana accent Mm. where you roll the the letter r that sounds like the like the uh, uh like a motor car on idle I used to speak like that, but thank goodness it's a horrible accent. I don't like hearing it. I shed it. <laughs> but how many people consistently confuse me as a Brit? And it's I don't a, know why. It's an accomplishment. I knew, I knew you you were from South Africa because we had talked mm-hmm. about that, and I knew. But I thought for some reason you were based in England now. But I don't know why I thought that. But I knew you were South Af- you know, from South Africa. You had talked about, you had mentioned your accent before, but anyway, Did I? so we've got you all the way from South Africa. I wanted to, um, not to cut the show short, but I think, um, you know, I wanted to keep it to an hour, um, sure. tonight, not a problem, but 
I'm so excited because yeah, it's a little rough around the edges. It takes time to get used to a new platform. I mean, this is Absolutely. live and the only way we know about doing this is actually going live. So if you are watching, we thank you so much. And we have some awesome guests coming up. I don't know if you guys uh, are familiar with Courtney Olson. She's girl clothing. Oh my God. She is the best. She crushes a watermelon with her thighs. She's crazy. What? <laughs> I want to see that. She whips it. She's cool. She's a sober. She's a sober queen. I mean, this girl, she is amazing. We're going to have her on. We're going to have Sherry Feinberg from Bridges to Change. She is all about um helping addicts uh you know with their trauma because she i think she had mentioned to me she was the one who said all addiction is based on trauma or is from trauma um or something on that something about that and she's going to speak about that next week um and we have a motivational speaker chris he'll be coming up so we have a lot of awesome guests you absolutely can join our show at any time it is a live show you can join us on stage. You can raise your hand, ask questions. You don't have to be in, on stage, but we'd love to, um, you know, to have you come on and watch our show. You just need to access firesidechat.com slash D-A-N-I-E-L-L-A-P-A-R-K, or you can do firesidechat.com backslash C-H-R-I-S-N-E-L-L. You'll request mm. access. It might take a day or two, and then you'll be able to join and watch all the other cool shows that are on here. Um, Absolutely. So thank you so much for joining us. And Chris, you want to take us out with something good? Uh, you know what? We'll reserve that for a next episode. I'd also like to mention, follow uh, Daniela at Doing It Sober, all in succession on Instagram. Be sure to check out the cool merch that they, uh, that is on display there consistently. That comes from Danny's handiwork, from blazers, medallions, and the like. You can even visit doingitsober.com. You can read up about uh, Danny, and you can even follow me on Instagram. My handle at Chris Nell, remember, with a dual L, media, and uh, my website, chrisnell.co.za. We'd love to have you read up about us and consistently check our handles for new updates, guys. We love you. We just want to, we just want to help, and we're doing it sober. Thank you.